You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Savage Love Cast. Uh, we'd like to begin this very special episode of the Savage Love Cast with a very distressing report out of Australia, uh, courtesy of the BBC. An Australian woman who has appeared in court in Adelaide charged with murdering her husband by setting fire to his penis. She poured flammable liquid on his crotch while he was asleep, and when she set him alight, the husband jumped out of bed and knocked over the substance, causing the fire to spread. Um, he died in the fire. Uh, there were they had their three children in the house at the time uh, that the wife opted to set her husband's junk on fire, and their lives were endangered. Now she's charged with murder because when you set somebody's dick on fire and they burn to death, um, that is the charge that you can expect. Uh, she says that she did this because uh, you know she didn't want to kill him. "Quote: I just wanted to burn his penis so it belongs to me and no one else. I didn't mean this." meaning the murder, not the setting his penis alight, to happen. <laughs> you know, nothing quite says your penis belongs to me quite like the loving application of flammable liquids, the improper storage of accelerants. Always place the container of flammable liquids out of the reach of the person you intend to set alight, with reach defined in this case as how far they'll jump once they realize their genitals are on fire. And, of course, risking the lives of your children teach your father lesson about fidelity. You know... Uh, to my extremely jealous listeners, and I hope I don't have that many because I think jealousy is uh, a small and petty emotion, which makes it weird that in the Bible it's one of the first character traits assigned to God. I, thy God, am a jealous God, which is to say a petty and insecure God. But whatever, leaving that aside, the religion bashing can wait. Um, for my jealous listeners who are dating men, uh, I would recommend the CB6000, which is a flame and erection retardant approach uh, to, 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 to enforcing fidelity. It's basically a chastity device uh, for dudes that you can lock on his dick. Uh, maybe you could lock it on his dick in his sleep and he wouldn't feel it going on. Uh, and once he realized it was on, he wouldn't jump up and knock over a case of CB6000s and set the entire house alight and die. Uh, all right. Now, hopefully rehearsing this problem will make everyone else out there feel better about their problems. Because whatever your sexual problems are, uh, your crotch isn't on fire, your husband isn't dead, and you're not charged with murder. Now let's get to your calls. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products to spice up your love life. To receive 50% off most any item, plus a free gift with most purchases, please visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. My name is Betsy. I'm 25, and I have a question about breaking up. I've been with my boyfriend for about two and a half years, and it's gotten to the point where, although I care about him, I don't love him anymore, and I plan to break up with him. The problem is that, as far as I can tell, breaking up with him will mean completely changing my life. He has a career that required a huge investment in training, and it's really hard, even with that training, to find an entry-level job where they don't treat you like garbage or a slave until you build hours. About six months ago, he finally found a job with a really great company, but it required moving really far north to a tiny town of less than a 1,000 people. I had just graduated from university at the time, and our relationship was going really well, so I gladly went along with him, and the company that hired him also offered me an administrative position, so I was set. Um, after a bit of adjustment, I feel completely at home here. 
I love the town, the lifestyle, my job, and we made a lot of great friends, but I just don't love him anymore. Our relationship has always been a little rocky, and I just don't love him anymore. Um, if I move back to the city, I'll have to find a place to live and a new job, and most of my friends have actually moved elsewhere for work or school. So the only thing for me there now is my family, and I also don't really have much in the way of savings right now because I bought a car when we moved up here, and it's taken most of my money. Um, but I really have a great life here, and am I obligated to remove myself completely from his life if I break up with him? What I think you should do is go to the BBC, print out the story about the woman who set her husband's penis on fire, and let him read that, and then you can point out to him that the pain of perhaps running into you on the street or running into you at work is nothing compared to the pain of having your dick set on fire and then dying. Uh, you are under no obligation to move away. Uh, you can stay in the town. A lot of people, uh, you know, early on in relationships will make certain accommodations. They'll move places. They'll do this. They'll do that. They'll change where they're going to go to school. Uh, they'll follow a partner to a new city, a big city, a small city uh, for work. And people often find themselves in places they didn't expect that they'd ever be uh, or want to live or want to go or doing a job they never thought they would want or like uh, and liking it very much even though they're out of love now with the person that is responsible sort of tangentially for getting them there. You're under no obligation once you break up with that person to abandon a job or a new city or a new lifestyle or new friends uh, that you acquired because of that person out of deference to that person's feelings. You're, you're, you don't have to remove yourself uh, – from their general vicinity once you break up with them. Uh, it betrays a certain immaturity on your part that you would even ask this question or perhaps an immaturity on his part that you feel that he might expect you to uh, evaporate. Um, I like to point out that even in big towns, people face this problem. You know, People date people at work uh, and then they break up and then they have to be civil to each other and see each other uh, and, and be polite. Uh, that's part of being an adult sometimes is once a relationship ends, uh, working towards uh, a certain degree of cordiality uh, with the person that you broke up with. And you know what that'll do for both of you if you can get there, if you can be decent to him and he can be decent to you even though you work together or work for the same company or you're in a small town. That will demonstrate to all the other thousand people in that town, including potential new partners for both of you, that you're level-headed, mature people, uh, and therefore worth dating. Because if things do go wrong, it's not going to be boiling rabbits uh, and assholery from either of you, because you you know, you both are mature enough to see a relationship end and then uh, treat each other like human beings and encounter each other without blowing your fucking stacks. So I would encourage you to stay in the same town, not set each other's crotches on fire, uh, and uh, not feel bad about it, either of you. Hey, Dan, this is Jamie calling from Cambridge, Mass. I've heard of uh, internal orgasms or you know, stuff from, I guess, from tantric sex where for, for the male orgasm where instead of ejaculating, you kind of turn it around and it's an internal orgasm that I, I guess you can continue going after you have it. And uh, I, I've always wondered what the deal is with that. And then recently I was talking to a friend uh, and he said it that he was doing and basically that he was just fucking clamping down on that shit. And when I heard that that's how it, how it works, it made me want to, you know, like throw up. I hate the idea of having to, of, you know, clamping down and holding in on an orgasm, but I mean, maybe I can get over it if it's really cool or whatever, I'll try it. But, uh, I'd love to hear what, what the real deal is. Is it, is it better? Does it, 
feel better? Does it feel different? Is it is it dangerous? Is that really how you do it? Um, are there other parts involved? If you have an internal orgasm like that, can you then have more orgasms like that or otherwise afterwards? Uh, what are the what's the kind of context for this this whole thing? You know, all that tantric woohoo bullshit about sex and about six or seven hour orgasms and having sex, you know, for ten hours. I have other shit to do. I don't want to have a 10-hour orgasm. I want to have an orgasm, make a little mess, perhaps, on or in uh, my partner, and then read a, read a book and maybe watch some television and go to fucking sleep. So uh, I've never really invested a lot of time or energy into looking into tantric sex practices because it's always seemed to me like kind of a form of, you know, bragging, like the 15-year-old who talks about all the pussy he's getting in high school is analogous somehow to me, in my mind, to the you know the 35-year-old Peruvian drawstring pants-wearing yoga instructor who talks about his eight-hour orgasms. Uh, I'm not jealous when I hear about those eight-hour orgasms. I'm actually kind of annoyed when I hear about them because the person is presuming that I should be jealous or that I might, you know, any reasonable person would be jealous of their eight-hour orgasms when actually what I'm standing there thinking is I can't wait to get as far away as possible from this douchebag and have one of my two-minute orgasms and get back to reading the goddamn uh, New York Times. Now, what your friend is doing, this clamping down thing, uh, it's a technique a lot of people who have sort of hysterical, uh, angry, sexphobic parents uh, will uh, fa- you know, latch onto when they're masturbating ch- as teenagers at home and don't want a lot of crusty socks laying around for mom to freak out about, which is just you know, a super kegel where once you feel yourself reach that point of no return when you're going to start to ejaculate – Uh, You clamp down your kegels and basically choke off your urethra and uh, you will have orgasmic contractions if you can do it and do it right without uh, the release of semen, without shit flying out of your dick. Where does all that shit go? It just sort of clogs up your pipes, is reabsorbed by your body. Um, It doesn't, in most cases, uh, mean that you can stay hard or have another orgasm unless you've managed to pull yourself back from the brink. That's edging and that's different. than, you know, tantric woohoo bullshit eight-hour orgasms. Uh, Why would anyone want to do this? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, There are guys who sort of latch on uh, subconsciously or consciously to this notion that the release of semen, that spunk exiting the body somehow diminishes their erotic power or their aura or whatever, that they're losing something, that they aren't giving something to the world, that they're depriving themselves and their body of some essential necessary energy and fluids. Um, you know, however you want to understand your orgasms, however you want to eroticize them or, or you know, whatever symbolism you want to attach to them, that's entirely up to you. Uh, my problem with the tantric woohoo crowd is they want to make a virtue uh, and a superpower out of uh, – the symbolic meaning that they attach to their ability to uh, hold the cum in and, and experience the pleasure uh, of the orgasmic contractions and, and, and woggly woo. Now, what do you do? You can give it a try if you want. You can also fake it manually. Um, unfortunately, I can't describe this without kind of doing it to myself, which is going to freak out the tech savvy at risk youth who, who get nervous when I touch myself when we're recording. Um, You can way, way back on your taint, press down on um, your urethra as you're having an orgasm. Behind your balls, you can sort of feel the tubing uh, runs on the outside of your taint, along the bottom of your taint. If you press really hard there while you're having an orgasm, you can block uh, the semen uh, and and, uh, ejaculate 
ejaculatory fluid from flying out of you. Uh, so you can do it by clamping down. You can do it by pressing down. Uh, and good luck. Give us a call back. Let us know what you thought of that tantric woohoo horseshit. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle, including a great selection of toys, lingerie, and movies. 10 million customers love the quality, the fast, and discreet shipping, and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit adamandeve.com today and receive 50% off most any item of your choice, plus a free gift with a purchase of $17 or more. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old straight female, and my vaginal fluid is this gross, kind of rusty brown color. And I figure I'm spotting, right? And that's kind of normal, but this is constant. I mean, 100% of the time, if I'm not actually menstruating, my vaginal fluid is brown. I've talked to my gynecologist, and she's tried tweaking my birth control prescription and stuff like that, but so far... Um, nothing is really working, and it's really embarrassing. I mean, you know, imagine I meet a new guy, he goes out on me, he comes up for air, and he's got like a brown ring of growth around his mouth, like he just gave me a dirty Sanchez, or I gave him one, or I don't know how that works, but I've tried douching ahead of time, which I know is bad for you, but um, I'm just trying to find something that works, and it helps a little bit, but it doesn't completely fix it. And my question for you is, like, how do I deal with this? Um, should I warn guys ahead of time, hey, you're going to get brown on your mouth, or do I swear off sex forever, or do you have an idea of what this could be that isn't, um, you know, actually spotting, or any other advice about how I could get rid of this? Because, I mean, most of the time, direct really all the time. Guys are nice about it, but I have an issue. It, it embarrasses me, and I really wish there was something I could do to get rid of it. Is this a bad time to talk about that thing you called me about? You mean my disgusting cooch? I do. I mean your disgusting twat. That, that is exactly the words. I, you took the words right out of my brown smattered mouth. Um, <laughs> you need to get over your pussy. <laughs> uh, I think you should see another gynecologist. Maybe it's not something about your uh, birth control pills, but it doesn't sound like I've never heard of this before. Um, okay. But it could, you know, rusty brown means there's probably some blood present. So maybe there's, you know, a blood vessel that's broken that just needs a quick cauterization. I have no idea, but this is something to talk about with more doctors. You went to one, and she wasn't even able to tell you what was up and tweak your birth control and set you on your way. Go get a second and third opinion about this. Is it only when you're aroused? No, no, it's constant. So you have this constant leakage of rusty brown fluid? Yeah, it's only noticeable when I'm having when I'm having sex, though. Right, because that's when more fluid is coming down the pipe and whatever is going right. on is magnified. Um, I would talk about that with the doctors. Maybe you need to have somebody look up there and look around. <laughs> um, in the meantime, however... I think you need to, you know, accept that when you're aroused, blood, all the blood rushes to your crotch and it becomes engorged. That there's always the risk for uh, a little brownness, a little spotting, a little bit of blood uh, with sex. And the comfort that the guys you've messed around with have shown uh, with your, you know, colored vaginal <laughs> excretion, I think is something you need to accept and adopt. Because maybe this isn't ever going to change. Maybe there's a little kink in your vaginal canal where there's a blood vessel that's always going to be a bit wonky. And when 
your your genitals become engorged with blood because you're aroused. There's always going to be a little leakage and always a little bit of rusty brown. And you can be embarrassed about it and shut down sexually for the rest of your life. Or you can just say, you know, that's it. That's who I am. That's part of my arousal pattern. Love me. Love Technicolor. <laughs> right. Do you think I should warn guys ahead of time? I think you should warn them provided you can get to a place of self-acceptance where you can talk about it without sounding embarrassed, mortified, or like it, it means you have leukemia or they're doing you some sort of special favor by enduring this. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you could get there. Like, if you're fucking people who are there, you should be able to get there. Right, right. This is starting to give me a hang-up. I don't know. Ugh. The hang-up is a self-creation, because you're right. you're giving it more power than your sex partners are giving it. You're allowing yourself to be mortified in advance for them somehow. And you need to listen right. to the people you've had sex with and you need to roll it out in advance just say just so you know I'm not sick there's nothing wrong checked it out with the doctor Dan Savage says it's okay thinks there might be a, you know we all get engorged right and uh, so there's a you know my vaginal excretions are technical there are guys who will eat women out while they're having their menstrual flow right so a little bit of you know Easter egg food coloring in your vaginal secretions is not <laughs> to be putting yourself on the rack about for the rest of your life. If it can't be solved, it might be able to be solved, but you need to go see a couple more doctors about it. And right, sure, right. with all the doctors who listen to the show, we'll get a couple of calls. So you might want to keep on top of the next few podcasts and see if we have some responses for you. Okay, great. From the penis gallery. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, Mr. Savage. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. Um, my name is Myra, and I'm a 28-year-old straight female. My question for you is about low and ED in men in their 20s and 30s. Some background is that uh, my early to mid-20s, I dated a guy for about a year and then another guy for three and a half years. Neither of them had very high sex drives. We're talking once or twice a week, and I had recently lost my virginity and wanted to experiment, wanted to try all sorts of new things, and they made it plain that they were not interested in anything except infrequent vanilla sex. Uh, they even seemed to think that there was something physically wrong with me because I couldn't come from 30 seconds of stimulation, and I didn't know any better, so I thought I had a problem. Uh, when I was 26, I bought myself a vibrator and had my very first orgasm, and I started to them about the same time and thought, wow, there's this whole world of, of sex and, and kinks that I want to explore. Surely I can find a guy who's not looking for commitment, who wants to fuck me senseless. So the first guy I dated couldn't get it up. He said this had always been a problem. He had never been to a doctor. He refused to go to a doctor. He led me to believe that it would get better if you know we stuck with it. It didn't. Uh, two months in, he admitted he wasn't that sexual a person. So the next guy I hooked up with, I went in the opposite direction from the artsy type, and uh, he was a smoking hot, super flirty athlete. I thought, this is going to be fun. He couldn't get it up either. He freaked out, even though I was being really cool, uh, left, and never called me again. I went eight months with no sex. I was clawing the walls, and I started dating this guy who couldn't get it up. Two unsuccessful attempts in, he admitted that he has to take Viagra. So I thought, he's at least done something about it. This could be fun. 
he came over one night armed with the little blue pill, and it didn't work. So I have now had three dicks in a row go limp mid-DJ in my mouth. That doesn't remember on a girl's self-esteem, even if you know it's not your fault. So my question for you is, is this a great silent epidemic that men don't talk about so nobody knows about it? Is it common? Is my sample just really fucked up? I am terrified to sleep with anybody new, and any insight you could give on this problem, I would really appreciate. Okay, three in a row could just be a coincidence. Coincidences happen. Think of all the women in the world who are banging all the men in the world. Uh, it's almost the infinite number of monkeys, right? Banging out Hamlet eventually. Um, you're one of the infinite number of monkeys out there, and you came up uh, with the short, limp straw three times in a row. It could happen and not be your fault at all. Um, Obviously, you're worked up about it uh, and exercised about it and concerned about it. So here's my prescription for you going into your next relationship. It sounds like perhaps, uh, and I'm not blaming the victim here, you are the victim of limp dickery, limp dicks in your mouth, going limp in your mouth. Uh, You are the victim here. Um, However, it does sound like uh, because of your unhappy experiences with low libido boyfriends uh, and these three uh, dudes who couldn't keep it up for you, that you're a bit pent up. And that you have high expectations uh, for your next boyfriend and that you really want someone who can uh, bang it out of the park for you, in you, on you, around you. And and perhaps uh, guys are sensing that. Guys are sensing um, your sort of uh, intense desire uh, for the kind of aggressive uh, fucking that you haven't been able to get, uh, it sounds at all, in, in the whole history of your adult sex life. So here's what I would do uh, if I were you. The next time you meet a guy and you dig him, just t- say to him, I want to take it slow uh, sexually. Like I totally want to go there with you. I want to get there with you. But let's set vaginal intercourse uh, off to the side. Let's even set insertive intercourse off to the side. Let's The first few times we mess around, let's just roll around. Let's make out. Let's masturbate together. That way – you can see his dick. You can see that his dick gets hard. You can see that he can come. You can help him get there. You can see what works for him because he'll be partly doing himself uh, with and for you as you do yourself with and for him. Um, it's a good way for people who have uh, developed a bit of anxiety about their own performance or about the potential performance of the next partner uh, to set those anxieties uh, at rest, uh, to find a little peace about it before you move on to the big show. All right. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I have a question about being friends with an ex. I'm 27 years old, and I've never been friends with any of my exes, whether they be long-term relationships or short-term. I just always felt like I've outgrown the person after our romantic relationship has ended. So recently, me and my long-term boyfriend broke up, and he's determined to maintain communication and keep the lines open and still be friends. I've never really done this before, so I'm not sure why it is that people who used to be in a relationship remain friends. You know, what's the benefit of that? And I was hoping you could provide me with some insight. Here's the benefit to being friends with your exes. Uh, First of all, I think it creates a good impression for your nexts if you're friends with your exes. Um, Nobody wants to be, you know, when I meet a guy, if I was still dating and I would meet a guy whose exes are all enemies or disappeared, mm-hmm. it, may, it would always make me worried about, uh, first of all, maybe he was the problem and all these people would have nothing to do with him 
ever again after dating him because he's such an asshole. It makes the person, it calls into question, you know, the fitness of the person who has all these enemy X's and not all the enemy X's. The, the, the person with all the enemy X's is the common denominator there, right? Okay. So it actually kind of vouches for you if you can, uh, to, to others, to your next boyfriend, if you ha are in decent terms with your previouses. Um, the other, but the real benefit, I think, is, you know, if you like someone enough uh, to suck their dick, if you like somebody enough to date them, that there was something beyond the sex that you enjoyed about them and, and liked about uh, spending time with them. And to be able to preserve that, and, and it requires a little bit of work and effort. I think you need some time away. You need time to cauterize the wounds, depending on who broke up with who uh, and how ugly the ending was. You need time for, for that pain to burn away and just the affection uh, to, to, to come into the foreground. And, and that, you know, so I, I don't trust people who, the minute they break up, they want to, like, be friends on friendly terms, go bowling, whatever. Like, you need three, six months, a year of very minimal contact before you can reestablish a friendship. But the other thing that's really a perk is, you know, I'll use an example of my own life. I was with this guy for five years, and we lived in Europe together at a really cool time in our lives, and we shared a lot. And being able to still talk to him and hang out with him and have dinner with him when I'm in the same city where he lives, it kind of keeps that part of my life alive, keeps those memories alive. Uh-huh. Because... I have him to rely on. I have Alzheimer's early onset. I have him to rely on for some to make, you know remind me some of what we did and, and where we went. And, and when he could you be just making stuff up now. Yeah, he could still be making stuff. Remember that time you shot the Pope? What? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, if you say so. And then I was a Turkish guy in prison for years, and now here I am in Seattle uh, <laughs> helping Elizabeth and you out. Um, so that's that's why that's why people do it. Okay. Good relations with the ex like, crashes the next. Good relations with the ex helps you keep a hold of your life, keep track of your whole life. I thought guys were wary of that, though, like if you're friends with your old ex. Oh, some straight boys with hang-ups are wary about it. Some possessive yeah. weirdo straight boys uh, are, have problems <laughs> with that. And you shouldn't want to date those possessive weirdo straight boys anyhow. Right. Maybe that's it. I just attract the weird ones. Don't attract the weird ones anymore. I'm trying not to. It's really hard. They find me. I'm a magnet. Well, you know what? Like I, one of my adages, every relationship you're going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. Okay. So don't be don't be despairing if you're in your 20s and you've had a string of failed relationships you're supposed to at your age. I definitely want to consider it. Just not sure, like, how to go about it, what are the dynamics, and... Well, here's uh, how you go about it. If your ex-boyfriend, who broke up with who here? Um, I guess he broke up with me. Uh, when you dump Sorry. someone, you need to allow them some time away uh, and not uh -huh. hound them about being friends. Uh, you mm -hmm. can say, I'd like to still be friends when you're ready, but then you need to shut the fuck up and go away and let that person hate you for a while because you dumped them. Right. And then how to go about it is, you know, three months, six months, when you're ready to hang out with him as a friend, just blast an email, say, let's have lunch, let's have coffee. After a year, how are you? I'd love to catch up, tell you what's up with me, hear what's up with you. Okay. And then you just take it really casually. What you don't want to do is allow an ex to become sort of your intimate attachment and sort of a romantic friend who eats up all your romantic energy, but then it isn't eating your pussy. Right. That is the worst case scenario ever. It is. <laughs> I've got to try it, I think. Well, good luck. Hey, Dan. I'm a 20-something gay male from New York City, and... uh I am currently in my boyfriend's apartment. Uh, he's gone out for the night uh, just to meet up with our friend, and I just stuck around. And uh, we've been together for four months now. 
things have been going great. Our sex life is amazing. He is completely dominant. I am submissive, and we both love it. And so we have a pretty open and honest relationship, as far as I knew anyways. And, you know, we use each other's phones and computers and everything. And I'm currently on this computer, and I went to check my email. Um, and he was currently logged into his, and I noticed some emails in there. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it, so I just checked them. And uh, they were Craigslist emails, and apparently he's been looking for sex elsewhere. Um, not only has he re- corresponded with other guys through Craigslist, he's also posted some ads recently in the past, you know, week, or days, past month, etc. Um, and obviously this concerns me. And what really concerns me is that he's looking for the opposite sexual encounter, meaning he's looking to be the submissive one and he's looking for other guys to be dominant. Um, and obviously I'm upset and I'm also baffled too because why wouldn't he just ask me to do this, I guess. You know, I I don't know if I should confront him in the, in the fact that I should be like, hey, why, you know, well, first of all, I'm just upset. Like, why are you looking for sex elsewhere? And second of all, like, why wouldn't we explore this area too? I can be the dominant one. He could be the submissive one. I always just assumed and thought that he wanted to be the dominant one and I'm the submissive one. So I I don't know. Like maybe you're going to tell me just to break up with him. It's only been four months and he's looking for sex elsewhere, so whatever. Or I should confront him and be like, let's work on this, you know, let's switch roles sexually, et cetera. Um, but just the fact that he's looked for sex elsewhere, it's really, obviously it's upset me, but I'm also baffled too. So, uh, has anything changed since you called? Have you talked to the boyfriend about any of this? Um, there's a huge update. We broke up two days ago. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, yeah. Bye. <laughs> um, why? What happened? Tell us about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, the night, uh, I guess in the past month, I mean, this has nothing to do with the original reason I called you, but just in the past month, I guess, like, things have been different with the two of us. And I know the night before that we broke up, we went out to a club, and it was just like, you know, it was just I guess everything was usual or whatever, and um, he had given up smoking, and he was drunk, so he was very irritable, and we just, like, didn't have a good time, and we ended up going separately, going to our separate homes that night without even saying goodbye or anything. Mm-hmm. And so that just, like, flared up an argument the next day, and we broke up. So um, I had not had a chance to confront him about the uh, the email account. Or resolve that in any way. Yeah. Um, Here's my theory about the emails. It's like one of two things are going on. Uh, did you guys have an exclusive relationship? Were you using condoms? Did you Had you had a talk about not having sex with other people? Um, after about a month of being together, we had the talk about exclusivity. And, uh, yes, we were being exclusive. And so, we, you know, we both got tested. So you well, yeah, and we both got tested, and we stopped using condoms. Okay, you do so, the regular HIV test. You could have been infected, and it just didn't pick it up yet, that it needs three months or so from the infectious exposure. So there are lots of people who have been tested, and what they find out is that as of three months ago, they aren't infected, but as of a month ago, they still could be or might be. So yes, and I, and I knew that, too. We actually, I mean, we had the talk after a month, but we both waited three months until we got 
Uh, tested. Okay, but then there's a lesson for you in this. Well, <laughs> four months in, or three months in, or two months in is too soon to I know. Use condoms, even if you've tested, because you really don't know a person well enough to take that kind of a risk. Obviously, no, I know. Okay, so now you know. Um, File that away, and in future, when you have a new boyfriend who says, "Let's get after a month, let's get tested and stop using condoms," you say, "Yeah, let's do that." After I've been dating you for nine months or a year, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Condoms for at least a year before you become fluid bonded, as the kids say. Yes. Um, yes. Now, about the dom-sub stuff and him being dom with you but looking for sub-action with others, you know, it could be, depending, you know, you'd have to have a talk with him about this. Maybe you'll give me his phone number and I'll give him a call and we can ask him. Um, <laughs> it could be that he was concerned that, you know, if, if you viewed him as a switch, that it would harm the like dom sub dynamic that you couldn't invest him with that power in that power exchange relationship if you knew that part of him wanted to be in your position every once in a while there's a lot of sort of anxiety that can go on through someone's head when they establish a dom sub relationship about about their role about maintaining their you know their fantasy archetype in the other person's mind so only you can i mean if he if he had told you i'm a sub two or I'm a switch and sometimes I like to top, sometimes I like to bottom doing this dom sub stuff, would it made him any less alluring to you as a top? Um well when when, you know, that the day that we broke him when we talked about this, he had mentioned that yeah, like even though he was you know, he was a dom he, or he was acting as a dom with me, it wasn't him. He wasn't feeling it, you know, and that's not his usual role. So I feel like that was one of the major reasons why we did break up. Basically. Why you weren't compatible. So did you roll this stuff out to him? Like I'm a sub, I want to have a dom sub relationship, or how did that? How did you guys initiate that? If it's not his uh, normal role, it just flowed naturally. I mean, it just happened. I don't know. Like we never had a conversation. That's just how it played out in the bedroom. What were you doing exactly? It wasn't. It was just like more like verbal. It was more. I guess it was more. Aggressive, non-aggressive. So it wasn't like whips and chains and props. And no, 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 not at all. Okay. Not at all. The lesson in both these things, you not using condoms prematurely, you having this dom-sub dynamic that just established itself without there being much communication about it, both of those things have the same root problem, yeah. which is yeah. whoever you date next, you need to have more explicit conversations about expectations, about roles, about safety, and about, you know, your emotional dynamics. It sounds like you were making a lot of assumptions in this relationship yeah. that were unhealthy. You assumed that you knew him well enough to stop using condoms even though you both tested. You assumed that, you know, with these roles that got established early on in your sexual relationship that that was, you know, the only person he wanted to be in bed. Yeah. And that was not true. And so, with your next boyfriend, the next guy you date, much more talk. Yeah. Before the fucking and before the throwing away of the condoms, if you throw away the condoms. Yeah. All right? Much more talk about your expectations, what turns you on, what turns him on. Hash it all out. Now, some people, when they, when I tell them to have these kind of conversations, think they're, they're going to be kind of deeply unsexy, mm -hmm. you know, or clinical or dry. And you can have them in sexy, flirty ways. You can throw information out and have a conversation about what you're into and draw them out about what they're into in a way that's fun. You can even do it drunk just so that you're getting the information and you're having the conversation. It doesn't have to be a deposition. It doesn't have to be tense or, or awful or clinical. It can yeah. be fun and flirty while you guys learn things about each other.
that you need to know so that you're not flying blind and you're not making assumptions in the future. So then my next question for you is that when you meet a person for the first time, how do you get that information out? Like, you don't want to get too invested in this relationship right off the bat and find out that he, you know, he's not a top. So, <laughs> well, there's what? stuff you need to there's stuff you need to to hash out. You know, the, the very first time you go to bed, right? Because yeah. what, who's going to do what to whom when you both have dicks isn't obvious. So there's a certain amount of communication and talk that has to happen. I think what you do is the first few times you mess around, you prove that you can do vanilla sex. You prove that you can get it up. You prove that you know he likes the taste of your spit. You like the taste of his spit. Right? And just sort of have low-stakes uh, audition sex. And then, once you both realize that you're into each other, you like how each other tastes, you like spending time together, you like uh, messing around, then you start having conversations that are deeper about what you really like and sexually what really works for you and where you really like to go and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Then yeah. you open up. You don't, like, on the first day to the first time some guy sends you a drink at a bar, go, oh, by the way, I'm a sub, and you better be a top, and I require this many <laughs> inches, and you better not smoke, and don't lie to me, and I would like to stop using condoms in a year. How about you, and where are you from, what's your name? Well, I have met guys like that, and those are the guys that I'm staying away from. Yeah, that's off-putting, right? Because yeah, it's very. Because certain emotional cluelessness. Like, they don't realize yep. that that's going to scare people off, and they do it anyway. Yeah. So yeah. baby steps at first, low stakes sex and safe sex at first, and then once you realize you're into him, you reveal more, you draw him out more, and you get to deeper, more interesting places sexually and emotionally. All right? Exactly. Exactly. And thank no you. No more assumptions, or I will come there and I will spank you myself. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Dan. You're welcome. Hey, Dan. I'm calling in regards to. Um, Podcast 113, a 70-year-old gentleman who was being dominated financially and needed to get support to stop that. There are two organizations. One is Sex Sexaholics Anonymous. The other is Sex Addicts Anonymous. They are at www.sa.org and www.sexaa.org, respectively. There are local meetings if he wishes to go the 12-step route. I'm not necessarily advocating these organizations or not. Just thought you'd like to know that uh, there's another option out there if therapy doesn't work, plus it's free. Thanks very much for that. I probably should have uh, plugged those orgs myself. Uh, it would have been totally appropriate with that caller. I, I have sort of a mental block, though, because I'm just not a support group type um, myself, and I would never go to a support group in 100 billion, zillion, jillion years. Uh, so I, of course, have a mental block and draw a blank. Uh, at moments when it would be appropriate to suggest a support group. So thanks for that call and uh, those recommendations. And I endorse them, even though I've never in 100 billion years go to one myself. 206 201 2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call for a future show or suggest a support group for one of today's callers that I may have overlooked because I am weird. 206 201 2720, that number again. Uh, please leave your name, a number, in case we need to call you back. We promise not to put your real name or number on the show. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. You download us every week at www.thestranger.com. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.